This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I was actually pregnant. Yeah, I was actually pregnant. And, and the, the great thing is, is that they, they, they were sort of going back and forth because in the, in the story, it, it wasn't, we hadn't decided who was going to actually have the child, bear the child. And the writers were going back and forth as to which it, which it, you know, which it was going to be. And then when I finally, you know, said to them, well, you know, I'm actually pregnant. And they were like, oh my God, you just made our choice that much easier. <laughs> it's like, it's going to be Cheryl. <laughs> so it was perfect. <laughs> Hi there, I'm Dave. And I'm Kobe. And you're listening to The Wire Stripped. It's the podcast where we recap every episode of HBO's The Wire. And you don't just hear from us, you hear from the cast, you hear from the crew, hear from some super fans, and we hear from you guys too. Today we're going to be watching Season 2, Episode 10. It's called Storm Warnings. Yeah, um, huge things happen in this episode. I know we say that every single time, but this genuinely is. <laughs> no, this one's even better. <laughs> <laughs> the hugest of huge stuff happens. Do really, we really want to hear from you guys, and uh, we've heard a lot from you guys in the past few episodes. We'd really love to hear what you think about Ziggy in this. So, contact us on social media. We are at the Wire Stripped on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram, and or and or. Uh, send us a, an email. We are burner at thewirestrips.com and a fair few people have been sending us emails there. Yeah, we've been we get some great emails. Yeah, it's yeah. great. And I'm sure a lot of you, like Kobe said, are going to have thoughts on uh, what happens to Ziggy in this episode. So do get in touch. Yeah. But that's enough of us talking. Let's move on to us talking yeah. about <laughs> this episode. <laughs> so here's our chat, which we recorded, as always, in a pub. <laughs> he got the fire and the fury at his command. Well, you don't have to worry when you hold on to Jesus' hand. We'll all be safe from Satan when the thunder rolls. You gotta keep the devil. Hey guys, and welcome back to The Wire Stripped. This is Season 2, Episode 10, Storm Warnings. I am here, as always, with Dave Corkery. Hi, it's me, I'm Dave. <laughs> and this is Kobe. Um, we're going to talk about, uh, yes, it, as I said, Season 2, Episode 10. Let's get in there. There's a big episode. This is a big episode. Um, with Ziggy. Let's start with Ziggy. Let's not just let's not mince about. Let's get into the Ziggy storyline. A lot happens in this episode. Yeah. yeah. Ziggy. So this is I mean this is <laughs> powerful stuff. Uh so Ziggy well let's start from the beginning with Ziggy. Ziggy and fifty, they steal the cars from the docks. Yeah, that they promised um, to Gleekus exactly. in the previous episode. And they they sort of it there's a moment of I mean, this is Ziggy in his element, yeah. really. It's had it's, it's interesting in this episode. You see him at this High, he's, a, he's, a, he's like a static moment for mm. Ziggy. He's like on a different planet. He's so happy doing this job. He feels like he's top of the world. He's and he's being quite smart. You know, he's 
fakes this exit yep. so that to divert attention from the uh, from the dock workers. Yep. He's thought the whole thing through. Absolutely. It goes off without a hitch, and he's like, "This is oh, this is his like PS de resistance." It really. is. You this, could just see him like, "I can do this again and again." I'm I, I'm I'm like I'm like a pig in shit. Is what he's yeah. thinking. <laughs> you know, in a way, I'm not surprised that Ziggy had an idea that worked. This is the voice of Jesse Thorne, who is the owner of Maximum Fun Podcast Network. Because the fundamental thing about Ziggy is not just that he is a dope. Like, if he was just a dummy, it would be a much less interesting character. To my mind, he is foolish and out of control more than he is stupid or dopey. Now, he's in a context where control is what everyone values. The union is an institution in which everyone is deeply invested, right? If you're a stevedore, it's because your father was a stevedore and your whole life is built around uh, a, a hiring hall and protecting this piece of territory that, you know, your forefathers literally spilled blood for, your literal forefathers literally spilled blood for. And so having a focused and controlled institution with rules and stuff is so important to every other character in Ziggy's milieu. The thing that's crazy about Ziggy is that he's crazy. He is does not play by those rules and he's unpredictable in a way that endangers everyone which of course it does in this episode this is his Mona Lisa (laughs) and he's finally he's you know he's finally I feel like poor Ziggy's finally found his calling or something or you know he feels like he's finally done a great job he's handed the cars in he goes to Double G and Double G suddenly cuts cuts his cut in half yeah he says you're getting 10 percent, not 20 percent. and ziggy flies into a rage insults him and george beats him and throws him out of the warehouse calls him malacca malacca it could not have gone worse no really uh and ziggy he stumbles out of the off he stumbles out of the warehouse and gleeks um shop and Am I right in saying it's kind of it's it's kind of shot in almost like slow motion, or is shot in a way that just kind of gave us the impression of what was going on in Ziggy's mind? Yeah, I I thought it was brilliantly done by director Rob Bailey. Yeah, absolutely top notch. So it kind of follows him back to his car. Yeah, um, yeah, it's kind of it's yeah, it's like that sort of he's he's slightly disembodied. It's like his come down. If you if you talk about the high being stealing it, he just thought he's going to hand it over to Gleekus. It's going to get his money. And everyone's going to be like, "Yeah, you're the best. Can you do it again?" But yeah, nicely put. It's yeah. the it's the come down. It's he's it's the exact antithesis of what he's just experienced. Mm. And I, interestingly, you don't hear um, you don't really hear much of uh, what's happening in Ziggy's car. You just hear this this roadworks. Yeah, uh, the sound. There's a great use of sound design here, and it's just pounding and pounding away as we sort of you see Ziggy make this terrible, terrible impulsive decision and it's almost like this is breaking point for Ziggy everything we've seen of Ziggy in the last 10 episodes and everything in Ziggy's life has led to this moment and it was you know last time you and me sort of argued over what was the point of the uh, the Maui insult and I think you made a good point that it was just a further humiliation for him 
and it does kind of all lead into this. Yeah, he's not been. Nobody's noticed him. His whole his whole life, all we've ever seen of Ziggy is him acting out. Yeah, he's he's throwing money out a window. He's setting fire to money. He just wants to be noticed, and finally he just snaps yeah. and he takes this gun and he goes in there and he brutally murders George and his and shoots his employee. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of shit happen in the wire over the past few episodes and, and the previous season. I just couldn't believe this was hap- I just couldn't believe it. And it's only through disseminating it through watching it recently again that you can see the the building blocks of where he where he falters. It's the final straw that breaks the camel's back. Something knocks him down, he gets himself back up again. Something knocks him down, he gets himself back up again. But this was like, I really enjoyed doing this heist. Motherfucker, you've just completely taken the rug from underneath me. I've got... So he was just at his wit's end and he had to act out by killing by killing these guys. And that's... Uh, it's, it's really tough. It's a really tough scene and it's a really tough... At first I just thought, Ziggy, you're a fucking idiot. What are you doing? But... I still think that, of course, but now I'm not empathising with him, but I can see how he's just felt, he must just felt downtrodden, beaten to a corner where he needs to act out, and this is the only thing he can think of to do so. I think that from the second Ziggy is on the screen, you know that something will go wrong. I mean, that is the nature of a tragedy, of course, but also you can see that there are these characters who are trying to build something, around him, right? The other Sabakas are trying to create a new, more refined order uh, that allows everyone to be better off. And you know that Ziggy is not capable of participating in that. And so the question then becomes, in what way will that inevitability play out? Which again, like that's what tragedy is, right? You know the inevitability. But the question is, how will this failure take place? And so by the time he shoots the guy, in a way, it's almost, I mean, I remember feeling it almost as a release or or a relief because you knew that he was not going to turn into someone else because that's not the kind of show this is. You know, there's a version of this dramatic structure where Ziggy is transformed from knucklehead to stand-up guy by the efforts of his cousin and his dad. But the reality is that in a tragedy, that's not how it works. In a tragedy, characters have fundamental qualities and they're put into circumstances that lead those fundamental qualities to become their downfall, right? In a way, for me, watching Ziggy shoot that guy is very sad. You know, it brings on the anxiety of the immediate realization of what this means for these other characters that we've come to know. But it isn't a surprise. And I think even to Ziggy, it's not a surprise, right? Like, that's why he goes and turns himself in. It's not because he planned it. I mean, it's a surprise in the sense that I don't think he expected to walk in and shoot someone. But he knew that he would make the mistake that he was destined to make at some point, just like we knew. And that actually makes it, in some ways, more powerful that it happens. I think the aftermath of this is so telling as well. He knows instantly that... 
this was the wrong decision. It was almost like a disembodied, out-of-body experience yeah. for him. And he doesn't try and run away. He doesn't try and cover anything up. He's not a killer. He just sits in his car and he slowly breaks down as you hear the police sirens slowly escalate. Yeah. And it's a, it's a superbly shot sequence. Mm. And like you said, it's massively surprising. I don't think any of us really saw this coming no. because it's not a it's not a course of action anybody expected. Um, but it's it's a really tragic end to his plot, really. Yeah. <laughs> and this kind of follows through when he comes into interrogation. Obviously, he's, I'm not sure the, the police catch him. He goes to the homicide department where he's met with Jay, he meets up with Jay Landsman, uh, says, hey, dude, I'm, I'm guilty. Just type me up a confession. And one poignant piece he says is just can I make an amendment to the confession um, and that amendment you would typically think no I didn't I I, I claim I, I didn't do this or I didn't do that please change that for the record but his amendment to the confession was to say that he begged the guy the kid he shot begged not to be shot not just um, not just says he begged because he, he wants to get the point across that he just wasn't that was you know it was it was that kind of visceral reaction it's he needs the record to be straight that it wasn't just like no please don't shoot me it was the fucking like fighting for his life yeah um the statement doesn't do justice to how ziggy remembers it mm. and I, that's the thing it's going to stick with ziggy forever yeah in part i think that the scene after he shoots the guys when he's sitting in his car and he's crying what he is crying about is not just the mistake that he's made, but that through the course of this story, he has been trying to outpace everyone else, trying to outpace himself, like running and running and running and acting and being wild and making choices out of desperation in an attempt to keep from reckoning. And the thing that he is crying about after he shoots those people is essentially self-knowledge. When he shoots those people, I think he realizes that in a way it just is that that is who he is. That was an interesting scene. I think, you know, certainly he has this breakdown in the car and that's difficult to watch. And he, the, the full gravity of what he's done hits him. Here's Bailey from the Rewired podcast. But then when he's with Landsman signing his confession, he points out that I think the confession reads something like, and he, you know, he asked for his life or he asked me not to shoot him. And Ziggy corrects it. And he says, well, this is for the record, right? He, he more begged for his life. He was begging me for his life. And I think it still goes to this power that Ziggy craves and having that belonging and, and really not being the butt of the joke. And I think, Kel, I, I don't know if, I don't know if you still feel differently about that, but um, yeah. So this is Kelly. I do feel differently. Um, <laughs> I read the scene when he makes that word change in the document to say begged for his life as opposed to asked for his life. I see that as a reflection of Ziggy's you know, tide of guilt that's starting to hit him, which is that he is 
you know, thinking it over in his mind and realizing that he shot someone who was in fact begging for his life. And I think that that is not trying to imbue the official record with a sense of power. I think it's more that he is coming to terms with the uh, the heinousness of the shooting. Like he's not a pastiche. Like he, he's one of these characters where, like, and I despair of this in films, where you get this character who's too stupid to live, just a complete fuck up in every aspect with no redeeming que- uh, qualities. And, and I have very little patience for it. Here's film journalist James Dyer from Empire Magazine and the Empire Film and Pilot TV podcasts. With Ziggy, it kind of speaks to a larger thing which is it's more so much about him but what he says about Frank and what he says about like his relationship with Frank who cares so much for his union but has very little time for his own son and I think when Ziggy ultimately gets arrested uh, and he essentially is going down for life you just see him and he almost seems zen about the whole thing like he's just taking it on board and he has that face off with his father and it's just like they share a last name and that's all they have in common uh, and you kind of really feel for him there. And when he does snap and when he goes back into the uh, one of the Greeks guys and just essentially guns him down and guns the other guy down in the in the store. I mean, it's absolutely brutal. You've seen him do stupid shit. You've seen him start a fight with a guy three times his size and get chucked on the roof of one of the uh, the stacks. But you've never seen anything quite like this. And I, I love the moment after that where you just see him in a daze and he goes and sits into the car, the stolen car, which is just left there. And he tries to light a cigarette and he drops it and he just sits there and you hear the sirens coming and he just sits there completely numb. And I actually think uh, he's, he's an interesting character. He's a lot more depth than I think you originally ascribed to him. He's shot? Fucking Christ! He's locked up. It follows the confession and uh, Nick finds out. Nick goes to tell Frank. And this is where, this is one of the points where Frank says, that he throws like Nick against the wall and says, where the hell were you? Why was he there? Where were you? Where the fuck were you? And this is this is a combination of what we've been saying previously. It's just Frank hasn't had the time for Ziggy. Yeah. Whether he thought rightly or wrongly that Ziggy's been taken care of, he can sort himself out. Blaming Nick for what's happened is just not. It's not fair. appropriate. No. And I think Nick's retaliation is entirely appropriate. No. You don't know you're supposed to. You're a fucking cousin. And he just simply says, "You're his father." And the the way Pablo Schreiber delivers that is is lovely and sad and you can see it in his eyes it hurts and it's it's true because frank failed him frank yeah. failed frank completely failed ziggy and frank is a good person i think frank is ultimately an ethical person and we see frank do good things but frank had his attention elsewhere yeah. and he wasn't paying attention to his son and he should have been. He's like family to me. This is Chris Bauer, best known to you guys as Frank Sabotka. You know, sometimes when I go back every now and then, I'll see a little clip from that. And, and I see like how many times I push him and hit him and slap him. And <laughs> and I think, what the fuck was I thinking? This guy let me, gave me so much space to be that character. As did Pablo, who played Nick, you know, they gave me so much space to play that character. Never could have realized him the way I did without their complicity. Um, and that's the generosity of actors. So this this episode starts with a montage, which I think is rare. Yeah, we don't get a lot. I think this is um, just one of the few moments of an of a montage that's not at the end of the season. Sure. Which is where they should usually True. show up. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we see Prez 
Of course, he's the first into the offsite every single day. Early Perez catches the chip the container. <laughs> <laughs> and the and again, this is another tune. I'm not sure if it's diegetic. It's a rare case where you actually hear some music, and we're not sure whether Perez can hear it as well. It starts diegetic. He oh, hit, does it? He hits a tape recorder. Cool. And then it becomes non-diegetic. Yeah. And we go to a montage of the detail, getting all their shit together, uh, putting things in place like uh, GPS units under cars, which... <laughs> they're big fucking things, they? are. They? They're, <laughs> yeah. like, they're like landmines. <laughs> so what are they doing? How would you not notice that <laughs> under your car? Like, I feel like even if you're opening the door, you'd be like, what's this giant metal block yeah, under so my car? Suddenly my, my gas mileage, my, my mileage <laughs> yeah. has gone right down. What's happened? I'm going to have a look around. And maybe there's this half-ton brick underneath my car. Well, you feel like a speed bump would <laughs> knock it off. <laughs> um, but it's such a fun scene. You see... Herc is the one that has to put these like GPS units under each car, and uh, this is one of the first times you see Carver calling calling rank with his three stripes on his shoulder. Yeah, uh, brilliant. Um, and you see all just all the all the bits of the detail coming together in this one kind of one or two minute montage, which culminates in coming to sitting in front of the computer where they've maybe a week or so later, uh, where president uh, sorry where Freeman is explaining what they've done. And show that they've put the car, they've put the GPS on the key cars and tracked them all. And there's a few places where the key cars all culminate for more than like a few seconds. So these are like the pinch points. These are where we need to hang out. Prez, even though he's involved in all the kind of tech stuff for the detail, for some reason he's been sidelined. And we we understand how this is all manifested by them explaining to Prez in front of this computer how, as to what's happened. Prez and Daniels are the people we're, they're explaining to. He's the audience surrogate there. Yeah, isn't he? he is, exactly. That's the turn, that's the turn yeah. of phrase I couldn't think of. Thank you very, thank you very much. <laughs> um, and because you see Prez's eyes bulging and like glistening with, with the tech and like GPS, like Google Maps hasn't been, Google <laughs> know, hasn't, yeah. isn't, isn't around yet, is it? I, don't, I wonder what he'd be doing now. My God. I love, I love when he sits at the computer, yeah, and he's like, whoa. <laughs> no, it's exactly. like the whole world has been opened up to him. It is. And I, I thought like Prez kind of came across a little lame in this at the beginning of this episode <laughs> especially when he like looks at the at the end of this montage he looks at the board and he goes fucking a man this is what we're doing and he walks away i just thought this is too cheese ball i can't handle this <laughs> actually I, I i'll be honest besides how prez ends this episode for this whole series prez has been kind of like a loose limb like he hasn't really contributed much i don't think I mean, he's part of the reason the detail is reformed because he's obviously fighting the corner. Um, but he's part of the of the detail. And the first version of the detail, he just says, uh, "Father-in-law, this is bullshit. We need to like, get a proper one. Let's get Daniels." He definitely gets the wheels moving. Yeah. and gets things going. But I feel like Prez is Prez is clearly has proven his worth in the first series, mm-hmm. uh, and he's still a worthwhile member of the team here. But he's just kind of a jobbing guy now. Now he just doesn't feel like he's got much of interest to do. In the first season, we saw that huge sort of change in him and as he discovered his value. Now he's just kind of hanging around in the background and, and like smiling and like being excited. He's just always excited and eager to be there. And I just feel like <laughs> I'm just not really into Prez this season until 
he does this brilliant moment where Valjek, his father-in-law's come in like, yeah, fuck you all. I'm pulling the plug on this whole thing. You're coming with me. And he's had enough and he just clocks the bastard. Yes, move shit, Bergd. It's so good. And I'm like, so now, then, and then he hands in his gun and I'm like, right, I'm checked in with Prez again. I like, I like Prez. So it was all, it was all worth it. The concept of... This is the voice of, the of Al Brown, otherwise known as Stanislav Valchek. That a relatively low-ranking police officer, in this case my son, son-in-law, whatever, would in fact punch an officer of higher rank struck me as not very realistic. Although I certainly had never been a real cop. But uh, there were certainly guys in the service as a second lieutenant, first lieutenant, etc., uh, if I thought I could have got away with it, I would have kicked their ass bigger than hell, right? But uh, I certainly never did that. And I thought the same thing. I believed, and I've never been a cop, but I believed that a real cop would not have done that. That um, smacking Valchek is brilliant. What also is brilliant is Daniel's expression. As soon as he sees it, there's a gift. Yeah, in it. yeah, yeah. His yeah. eyes like pop out of his head, <laughs> and if he was in like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, his eyes literally would have flown out of his head. And it's it's one of the best things I've ever seen. Um, head to the wire stripped on yeah. Facebook and Twitter. And we'll put that gift. We're on. putting that there. Um, it's such a it's such a it's it's so funny. But then Daniel's corrals everyone together, doesn't he? And says, "Just look, we're going to report what happened exactly as it happened." Prez, you can't get away from the fact that you hit him, but you were provoked, and that's yeah. going to be that's going to be written down by everyone. You were provoked. You were called a shitbird. I don't know if that was the official uh, report. Classic Daniels. <laughs> um, so because they have the GPS in place, they know a few of these key kind of pinch meeting points, rendezvous points that the guys meet at, and one of them is on the edge of the peninsula in Baltimore. Yeah, the peninsula. The, the Baltimore Peninsula. We're going to go peninsula. hang out at the Baltimore Peninsula. <laughs> <laughs> and we and we get we get Diggsy back. Diggsy, who's been um, yeah. Minotti's roommate on, on the boats. Diggsy, like, charters a yacht to the peninsula. Um, and Bunk comes along in a, in a bright orange life jacket looking like <laughs> a man who should never be on water. <laughs> and climbs on a boat, childlike, brilliant. He's like the opposite of a fish out of water. He is. A- <laughs> <laughs> um, but then quickly sits in a seat with a, with a with a fishing rod between his legs and pretends he's got a massive cock. All this stuff is great. <laughs> I want now. I want another spin-off series, which is uh, just McNulty, Bunk, and Dixie on the high seas. Get in the boat first, then put the preserver on. It's easier that way. Yeah. You're trying to drown my ass for sure. Uh, it's kind of nice out here. Moonlight on the water, waves lapping gently against the boat. <laughs> and we catch, well, so what happens is we catch, what the, they catch, sorry, Spiros and, is it Etan? Etan, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, catch, they catch this conversation on the edge, on this edge of the peninsula. We need to find out what this place is called. After a brief discussion, realise that shit's going down, we need to throw, we need to get rid of all our mobile devices and the guys Minolti and Bunk catch them throwing the, throwing the mobiles into the water um, but then Spiros types something else on a different device mm. yeah a te- I think it's called a, uh, let me read it here a a text message um, <laughs> dig 
<laughs> and Diggins, Diggsy, Diggsy's all like, uh, oh yeah, he's probably sending a text message. My kids are crazy over that. <laughs> that'll never catch on. Foreshadowing for the future. That, that'll never catch on. <laughs> Foreshadowing for the future for like, for like 2006. <laughs> I know. It was dried around the corner. But McNulty, sort of being McNulty, is on this. Yeah. He's like, hang on a second. So he asks Fitz, his FBI friend, how would you trace a text message? Uh, we won't go through the boring detail, but basically they go blah, 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 blah. Uh, and Bunk and Freeman end up getting the text message. Yeah. But it's, they need to translate it. It's just classic sort of police paperwork thing. What, what I love with that as well, you skipped a bit, where they go to the, I think it must be the, the, the cell company uh, with their with their detective badges. And the guy from the cell company is so happy. I've never been asked to do this before. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is amazing. And like, if you have a warrant, you can get this much. But if you have a, a affidavit, you can get everything you want that's ever been written on text message ever. Um, so he's, he's like so happy, this this yeah. data tech guy, to be to be helping the police. And in these days of GDPR, it feels <laughs> yeah, very, totally. very quaint, doesn't it? <laughs> And then, but then, not only that, he goes like, "Well, I guess I could just turn the other way for a second if you want to have a quick peek," uh, which I feel like wouldn't fly in this day and age. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, this is Will in Vancouver. Just want to call and say I love your guys' show. Season 2 is my favorite season, and listening to you guys go through it is bringing me a lot of joy. One character in particular who resonates with me the most is Mr. Spiros Vandopoulos. Uh, such a cool, calm, in-control guy. You know, plays the game. It's not about his name. It's about his money. Yeah, what an amazing portrayal. And that being said, uh, Season 2 is the best, so... I'll leave it there. Thanks, boys. Take care. Thanks for that burner message there from Will from Vancouver. If you guys want to leave us a burner message, you can do, just like Will did. Tell them how they can do that, Dave. Well, <laughs> all you got to do is you got to go to WhatsApp. You got to leave a voice memo and send it to this number. Plus four four seven five three four. 831658 that's our untraceable burner phone yes if you didn't get that number because you weren't writing it down then you're too slow then you can go to our social media pages and you'll find it there what we want to know from you this week is what are your thoughts on Ziggy as a character this is like a big moment for Ziggy what do you think of Ziggy we know he's a real hard to like character does anyone like him (laughs) let us know I'm sure Frank likes him. But also, um, if WhatsApp is too difficult, because it does involve some kind of witchcraft, um, you can record your voice on your favourite voice memo app and send it to us, uh, to burner at thewirestrip.com. And we keep forgetting to say, people who send us burner messages are entered into a competition to win a signed copy of Jonathan Abrams' book, All the Pieces Matter, which is signed by Clark Peters. So 
do enter because you get a chance to win a book which is signed by one of the best people ever. He's awesome and we will be announcing the winner to that competition at the end of this series. Yeah. We should also talk a bit about where, where Kim is at at the moment. She's go, she's coming back home and enjoying the detail, but not enjoying being an expectant mother, which is... Yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is an interesting sort of side plot. So mm. we get Kima kind of uh, drilling BD for how she basically does a work-life balance. Yeah. Um, and I still haven't figured out how BD's paying for all these babysitters. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I tell you what, babysitters are expensive, guys. Um, and BD kind of tells her, yeah, well... You, you probably can't do all that. You can't go on the raid. You can't do all this. And mm. Akima seems like not she would be massively missing out. Yeah, she's yeah. not happy with that. And then we get her um, back with her partner who's pregnant. Uh, and she says, and Cheryl says, you know, oh, do you want to feel the baby? Uh, the baby's kicking. And Akima's like, ugh, looking at TV. Um, <laughs> which is not cool. No, it's not. <laughs> right? In any in any shape or form, I think we can all agree, uh, if I were Cheryl, I'd be massively pissed off. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Which shows a different side to Kima, which again shows that we're showing real life characters. There, there's no good side or bad side. So they're just like, they're just nuanced like, like people are. Yeah, she loves her job, um, but she doesn't want to lose her connection to her mm. job, I think. That was one of the, the great things about when The Wire came out and what was so important about the Cheryl and Kima relationship is that it was actually the first, if not one of the first, maybe you know better than I do, relationships of, of note that were portrayed on television. This is Melanie Nichols King, who played Cheryl. You know, between, especially between two black women, you know, it was just like, it had never been done before. So it was important for that relationship to come across as real and, and, uh, and full of humanity as, as it could be and as it was. And so we, we definitely, I mean, when we were making it, obviously we were just trying to make, you know, uh, as good a product as possible. But as it came out and, you know, the amount of attention it started to get, it was, it was really important for for that relationship to be given the validity that it that it did and and the support that was what was that was just a part of who they were you know it's like uh omar you know was much more than just a, a gay man or a gay gangster as they as they as they dubbed him you know he had this whole you know full being and the same with sonia and the same not sonia the same with kima and the same with cheryl so back on the streets um we're, we're at the high rises and stringer and prop joe have agreed to start moving some product yeah into the west side so we see Stringer arriving with Cheese, who we've met earlier, who's Prop Joe's nephew. Mm-hmm. And uh, he establishes him and his crew in three of the six towers. But Bodhi's not happy with this. And then Bodhi sees Cheese selling to Bubbles, and he decides, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to undercut him. Yeah. <laughs> Which is quite, a, quite an interesting scene. I think you see Bodhi being quite entrepreneurial. Again, Bodhi being more like Avon and feeling territorial. Yeah. Despite the fact Stringer has said this is all cool, still doesn't sit well with him. And earlier on in that episode, Bodie's is like saying this is the best it's been for a while. You think that? Hold on, let's yeah, this is we can we can make this work maybe. 
Yeah, he's not, but he's not. No. It still just rubs <laughs> him off the wrong way to see to see like the East Side players on his hood. And this is what I, I need That's to a un- sentence that doesn't sound right coming out I'd, of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to understand from uh, our Baltimore listeners how much of a grudge is there between East Baltimore and West Baltimore? Because I'm, I know, I'm from Manchester. It's all about north and south there, right? Well, it's not. It's no one really cares. There right. is a bit of like you're up in north. It's like all right, but Man United and Man City. I mean, there's that bullshit, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we, I mean, we live in London now. And there's like a north and south divide between London, but it's only in terms of bloody hell. I've got to go south of the river, but it's not really like a. I wouldn't beat anyone down if they came from Clapham and I'm from I'm from Camden. But it seems like there's a real there's a real rough kind of edge between East and West Baltimore, at least as portrayed in the wire. And I wonder how true that is to life. We see Brother Muzone turning up and uh, we initially saw him at the end of the previous episode looking up and smiling at what he was about to survey. Um, this is the first time we see him do anything in, in the whole of the wire of any note. And he turns up and confronts Cheese, telling Cheese to get a move on. Get out here, jog on, son, he says, in, uh, <laughs> in, in the way that Brother Muzone would do. Um Cheese just kind of laughed at him because, essentially, Brother Mazzone is a guy with with a bow tie. Can we talk about Brother Mazzone? We can do. I've, I I mean, in my first viewing of The Wire 15 years ago and in my second viewing now, he's the most... He's the character I have the most trouble with. Really? He feels the most out of place in this show. Um, he feels... He feels like something from Breaking Bad or something uh, that's heightened reality. Right. I think for a show that prides itself in authenticity and that everything is rooted in real life and experience that David Simon and uh, Ed Burns brought to it, this f- he feels like something from TV fiction. Sure. And every time Brother Mazone shows up, I get taken out. And admittedly... I see. I can see the point that he he bears a remarkable resemblance to uh, a nation of Islam, uh, who were a very f- a famous activist group that mm-hmm. Malcolm X was a part of, and they all wore these very similar outfits to him. V- evidently, that there could very well be a character like this. However, it just feels wrong. It just feels gr- it just feels grating every time he shows up to me. And uh, despite the fact that he's entertaining and he's good TV, he doesn't work <laughs> in the wire. I'm sorry. I well, I, I have a lot of time for Brother Museum, but I do have reservations as to how effective he would be as an enforcer. I know people whose favorite character on the wire is Brother Muzone. And I understand why, because it is by far the cleverest character on the wire. It is a great idea to put on a television show a hood superhero who dresses in the costume of a guy from the Fruit of Islam who is instead a cold-blooded killer and he's mad that his assistant forgot to bring him Harper's this month. (laughs) It is a vivid, clear, exciting, funny, scary idea. That said... I think Brother Muzon is the worst character on the show because The Wire is substantially about forcing the viewer to engage with the reality of a city. It is a reporter's television show. 
every theme is about the human characters struggling to figure out how to deal with these crumbling structures and institutions around them. Brother Muzon is a comic book character. He has no humanity. He essentially, as a character, skates by on the cleverness of his invention and and a, a great performance. And I think that he undercuts the gravity of everything else that happens on the show by being fantastical because it suggests that this is a fantastical world whereas everything else in the show is an attempt to show that this is not fantastical that this is very different from the fantastical television worlds that you know this is something that reflects something that is more real and I don't think that Brother Muzon is a bad television character. I think he's a bad television character for this show. To be fair, the show does a good job of setting up just how scary he is. Yeah. Like, and it's it's based on the reactions of other characters. Yeah. We see Prop Joe being like scared. Shit, yeah. Like he's like, I'm not going up against this guy. And and later when Cheese uh, complains to his uncle about being shot in the arm, Prop Joe's still like. We're not going to retaliate against mm. this guy. You don't want to do that. You shouldn't do that. So I think that's how you sort of... That's the show telling us that he is a force to be reckoned with. And I'm fine with all that. Again, it's just the fact that they play into all this comic book uh, sort of Quentin Tarantino assassin sort of <laughs> unexpected. Uh, you know, he doesn't seem like he'd he'd be fit in, but he's actually really scary. So it's, it's again, doesn't feel right to me. Um, Never did. I mean, it's good. Cheese, cheese wanted to retaliate on Prop Joe saying. So obviously, Prop Joe is scared, like you say, of Brother own String is scared of Brother own in the way that he's so scared, in fact, that he forges a meeting with Omar. Yes. Yeah. So it, through Butchie. Yeah. So we see Prop Joe setting that up through Butchie, and we're going to get another parlay. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I think. Every season should have a, a Stringer Omar parlay. Lovely, lovely. Yeah, except uh, Prop Joe doesn't get to go to this one. Yeah, as the uh, as yeah. the as the immediate immediary intermediate. I don't know. We should set up our own parlay. We should have a parlay <laughs> with a rival podcast. I <laughs> um, I really like the moment when the. FBI first arrive into the onto the, the offside. Into the offside, yeah. And uh, there's this brilliant sort of Wild West standoff between the the police and the FBI, and then it just sort of breaks down into sort of high fives. Yeah, and that was just lovely. It was so so good. It was. It's because yeah. typically with whenever you see the FBI with local rubbing shoulders with local police, it's a fraught relationship, isn't it? But even in the wire, yeah, historically, well, it's it can't, been fraught. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's true. Obviously, yeah, McNulty leaving the place, but that's McNulty calling everyone pricks. But that's McNulty, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? But they all, but they have different. It's they have different goals. Mm. They're different organizations with different goals, and they're bound to conflict. And they have different resources. Yes, wait, I just still don't. Stop. Why? Why don't we all just get on together? Why we all trying to catch <laughs> the bad guys? Let's get let's catch them together. It's just like Die Hard, isn't it? As yeah. soon as the FBI come in, if you, it's it's whatever movie you're watching or TV show that follows one, it's either the TV, uh, the cops or the FBI. Mm. Whichever one you're following, the other person is the enemy. And they're portrayed as idiots, right? And they come in and fuck everything up. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, 
How you doing, man? I'm Agent Johnson. This is Special Agent Johnson. Oh, how you doing? No relation. I'm, uh... I'm Dwayne Robinson, LAPD. I'm in charge here. Not anymore. All right, that's it from us for this episode. But we will be doing another episode because there are more Wire episodes. Is there more? Or not. Oh. Yeah, there's so many more. Uh, the next one's called Bad Dreams. And this is an amazing episode, yeah. I think. So don't miss it. Yeah, thank you so much to everyone who's contributed, guys. Uh, the cast, the crew, and the fans. And the burner from uh, Will from Vancouver. I don't know why I'm singling you out, but thank you very much, Will. Um, we love you, Will. <laughs> Uh, thank you to the amazing widget that does a lot of the transcribing for us. For all the interviews you hear, we need to obviously write them down and take notes. And Sonics does all that for us and it saves us so much time. Uh, if you guys want to try out Sonics yourself, um, head to Sonics, that's S-O-N-I-X dot A-I forward slash invite forward slash stripped. And you can get 100 free minutes of transcription time yourself. Thanks as always to Chris Sutera who did our lovely season two graphics and Izzy Lawrence who does our website graphics. Yeah, Martin and Sam from Song by Song podcast. Thank you for the tunes for your version of Way Down in the Hole which you can hear right now, guys. Thanks as always to our brilliant producer, Tom Wally, who, uh, award-winning producer. Award-winning, yes. Congrats to Tom. Yeah. Uh, uh, who... Um, what, you got one best uh, sports producer yeah. at the, um, for the for the cycling podcast. Cycling podcast. Yes, so. congratulations to to Tom. Well done, Tom. And yeah. uh, he is the one who puts all this together for us. It makes it sound so cool. Uh, as we say, guys, if you do want to get in contact with us, which many of you do, um, we love it. And people, someone was posting about the European man purse on, on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, because so, they linked it to Seinfeld. So yeah, exactly. Very, very, very clever uh, link there. Um, get in contact with us at The Wire Stripped on Twitter, on Facebook, and also on Instagram. And if it's your first time listening to us, please do subscribe because uh, we got a lot more of the wire to talk about. There's yeah. more of this to come. Um, and please leave us a, a review if you like what you hear. Uh, pop into the, the podcast app and uh, write us something nice if you have time or just hit the stars. Either way, it helps us get noticed and we really, really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thank you very much, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.